Hello, I'm Susan Montero, the host of the Get In Podcast, where I help high school music students realize their dreams, prepare them for college, and during my six-month Get In program, prepare them for life. My students achieve success through music and redefine their lives. So, if you have a student getting ready for college, check out my link in the show notes. And speaking about soon-to-be-amazing college students, I wanted to talk today about young music students who have aspirations of going to a university, but they might have to accomplish this in another way. So, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Hemda Salonmer Horner. Hemda teaches piano, ages four through adult, and works with students who are interested in playing for their own enjoyment, performing in contests, or preparing to major or minor in music in college. But what makes Hemda special is that she works with students who have neurotypical as well as neurodivergent brains, specifically those on the autism spectrum. Students learn a liberated technique, giving them a solid foundation of expressing from the heart. We all know that music is healing to everyone. That is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you so much, Hemda. And as music teachers, we usually do not deal with neurodivergent students, or at least maybe we don't realize that we are. And I myself have had an autistic student, and I know that music healed him, I remember. I've seen it, and I also know that some parents shy away from signing these children up for music lessons. So, Hemda, what's your story, and why do you do what you do? I'd love to know the name of your program, and... Yeah, how are you doing? Well, first of all, Susan, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. And I just I really appreciate being able to speak about something that I'm so passionate about. And my program is called Discovering Their Gifts. So I've taught children through adults individual and private lessons for over 38 years. I've taught a large number of autism spectrum and ADHD students. And now I'm opening up my program to guide parents and other music teachers to help them be grounded and have strategies and proven tools and tactics they can use under pressure to help their autism spectrum and ADHD children achieve extraordinary results musically and personally while the adults avoid frustration and overwhelm. So here's why I developed this program, why I'm so passionate about this. When I was a child, I was the youngest in the family. I still am, but (laughs) um, I was the one in the family who had meltdowns, tantrums, screaming fits. I couldn't handle the big emotions, particularly I would get very negative um, about myself and I just, I just couldn't handle it, complete meltdowns. And I know it was very difficult for my mom. It was difficult in our family dynamic. And I remember practicing the piano and getting just so angry with myself when I'd make a mistake. Just could not handle it. And there was a time when I would hit other things when I'd get angry. And I, this is the one thing I do remember of how my, my mom helped me handle this. And that is she allowed me to hit my thighs. And I would pound my thighs until they turned red and stung. The fortunate thing was I didn't have skinny thighs and I still don't. So (laughs) there was like minimal chance I could really do major, any kind of major damage beyond, you know, turning red and stinging. But, you know, it was, 
it was painful, but you know, it made, I was just so angry. That was how I handled it. And um, I think as I grew um, and I got into high school, I began to really, really enjoy piano. And probably I'm assuming that that was the piano lessons and the music because of the research I've done on the brain was also helping to heal parts of my brain. So I was handling those things better, although I'm sure if you check with my brother and sister, they would say, no, that never went away. <laughs> those tantrums and meltdowns always happen. But um, I remember thinking at one point that, hey, you know, maybe I could teach piano because I really love this. And I think I could be really good at working with children who had the same problems that I had. And so I thought, you know, this, this is like a shoe-in. This would be great. I could do this. And as you can imagine, just kind of the way the universe works, when you think you know everything, of course, you find out that you don't. <laughs> right. And that I needed a whole lot more help. But I, I do need to say that I did get my bachelor's degree in music education. I got my master's in piano performance in between those two times. In between my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, I was teaching piano. I had started teaching after my bachelor's degree. I also have my natural national certification as a teacher of music from the Music Teachers National Association. Um, but as I began teaching piano and I seemed to be drawing, naturally drawing students to me who were on the spectrum, I discovered that although I was really empathetic and compassionate um, and I could see their potential, I really didn't have the tools to help each one of them because they're all different. You know, just because someone's on the spectrum doesn't mean they're all, they're like every other child on the spectrum. They're just as unique and they come with their own backgrounds and their own issues that they're dealing with and because every person is unique, every child is unique. And I, um, I just, I remember I didn't do everything right. I remember, you know, feeling really bad sometimes at the ends of lessons, the end of the day and just crying and thinking, how am I ever going to help this student? Because I can just see it. I can see the potential, but I couldn't get past the meltdowns. So I became obsessed with figuring out how to help them. Did a lot of research, a lot of study, went to workshops, read books, found things at work. And I've put that together into a program where I'm now offering to help parents and teachers of autism spectrum and ADHD students help, um, help their kids just become excellent and just uncover un, uh, all of that potential and uncover their, the genius that's in them as I'm just passionate about helping more children. So I can reach more children through reaching the parents and the teachers. Plus I understand what it was like as a teacher. And um, although I've never been a parent, I have a lot, I just have this empathetic um, aspect to my personality. And um, I hate to see people struggle and I want to help. So that's my natural desire is to try to help. And so this program I've come up with is, is helping and I'm really excited about it. No, that's fantastic. I think um, what you have, though, is because you have experienced those, you know, those problems in the past when you were a child, you, you probably know exactly how they feel, you know, or maybe some people think um, they're not paying attention, but they just can't or, you know, they get upset. They're overly, what, oh, okay, I hear this too. Oh, they're being dramatic. And perhaps they're not. You know, so there's so many misunder misunderstandings that happen along with that. So um, 
what, what would you say are some symptoms of autism for anyone who might want to know? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot, and I'm not going to name all of them here. I'm, I'm just going to name the most common. But it's important to know that um, not everyone on the spectrum has every single one of the symptoms of autism. And even some people not on the spectrum have some of these things. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. But some of the most common symptoms are avoiding or not keeping eye contact, looking like a person who's on the spectrum might have a tendency to look at you through their peripheral vision more than head on. Um, obsessive interests that, and they also have um, kind of almost a compulsion to follow certain routines and can get upset and have meltdowns when those routines are interrupted. They can have unusual eating and sleeping habits, digestive issues and constipation, anxiety, stress, or excessive worry, self-harming, and difficulty in social situations. Those are some. Wow. So I'm sure a lot of people, you know, in order for them not to feel so alone, what are uh, the autism, you know, the percentage of people having autism seems to be going up, mm -hmm. you think? And why would you think that? What do you think is going on? That's a very good question. Um, in 2000, just to give you some stats, one in out of every 150 children on average were diagnosed with autism. Now it's one in 54. Now, some of the reasons that I've found, been able to find is that they think it's because they're diagnosing milder forms of autism than they used to. Maybe their diagnosis ability, or <laughs> not sure how to put that, has gotten better. And they're, they, they've also found some research there may be some environmental factors involved. Um, there is a genetic component. They've found that if one parent has autism, there's a, possibly a 75% chance higher that one of their children will have it. And um, are there differences in the brain that occur when someone is neurodivergent? Yeah. Um, so some of the brain research I found is that they've discovered that in people on the autism spectrum, the corpus callosum in the brain, which is the white matter that joins both the right and the left hemispheres of the brain, or you could call it the logic and the gestalt hemispheres, because sometimes that's reversed in some people. But that white matter, the corpus callosum, is either smaller or people on the spectrum may have be lacking parts of it. And then also they found that the hippocampus is larger, can be generally larger. And that's the area of the brain that forms and stores memories. That could also be a gift, maybe why um, People on the spectrum can have a very, very high, very, very strong memory recall. They've also found the cerebellum, which is located near the brainstem, kind of in the back of the brain, um, also known as the little brain. It controls motor movements, among other things, but it's they found that it's smaller. So you know that sometimes uh, a symptom I didn't mention is awkwardness, physical awkwardness, and that could be a reason for that. And then a new thing that they've discovered, some research they haven't done a lot in, but they're starting to do now, is called, this area of the brain is called the, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, so forgive me, <laughs> all those people out there who are so smart, the Habenula, H-A-B-E-N-U-L-A, Habenula, the best I can pronounce it, located near the thalamus in the brain. It's a small structure that plays a key role in the network of neurons 
that are involved in emotion, arousal, and memory, and they, it regulates social interaction, behavior, sensory integration, and circadian rhythms in sleep. So hopefully more research is going to come out about that. That sounds really fascinating as to. Yeah, that does sound fascinating. So that's, those are physical aspects. What do, you, what do you think a parent could do maybe as opposed to like a diet or exercise regimen or anything? Would that yeah. help? A gluten-free diet and a casein-free diet is important. Um, I've also found that a keto diet is helpful as well. And um, movements are really helpful. Uh, any type of cross-body movement, let them play, let them climb, let them crawl. Yoga and Tai Chi are good. Um, there are movements that I have extrapolated from my program from the Brain Gym, which um, involve a lot of slow integrated cross-body movements that build new neural pathways in the brain. But any type of cross-body movement is gonna do that as well. And another thing that parents can do, because sometimes there's um, a lot of disruption in the family, particularly if there are meltdowns and there's self-harming going on and it can put the family environment or the music studio environment into a kind of a fight or flight mode, uh, just trying to survive. And, you know, parents, know they love their children. Teachers love their students. But when there is the, this fight or flight thing going on, it's hard to know how to communicate that. So the child knows they're loved. And so there's a really good book called The Five Love Languages of Children by Gary Chapman. And I've included the link in your information. You can probably share that. But you can get this on Amazon, and this is, um, Gary Chapman has written this before for couples, but now he's written a book for children and for parents to read, um, so that they parents can understand how their children receive love. What's the language your children receives that love? They can give that, use that love language for their child, so that child and that student, their, their children know that they're loved. They can receive that love in their language. That's very, very important. Um, I will definitely put, I have it right here. I'll put those notes in my, uh, in my show notes. I'll put the link on there. That's really interesting. Um, okay, so also if someone has a student with any type of neurodiversity, what would be the best way to create a safe and secure way to learn in a college setting? Oh, well, um... What I would do is kind of the best thing to do when if a child is ready to go to college and they're wanting to go to college, make sure that you have documentation that your child has autism spectrum disorder or dyslexia or whatever neurodiverse issue they have. Get documentation, register with the college's disability office, and then that provides a way to receive accommodations. Also familiarize yourself with the Americans I think it's Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, okay. because the ADA mandates that places like colleges and universities accommodate neurodiverse students. And some examples of the accommodations include having an alternate testing location where it can be quieter, more time to get to class, having a note taker for that student, having a special room in the dormitory or a special place to go during sensory overloads, Lighting may need to be changed in the dorm room at least. Uh, 
those CFL bulbs, those are called, those are um, compact fluorescent light bulbs, they flicker and can cause headaches for some people on the spectrum. Which, by the way, they're really not great for anybody. Ooh. On the spectrum or not on the spectrum, they're not the best lighting because yeah. of that flickering. LED lights are better, although on the outset they're more expensive, but they also last longer. Mm. Um, also, the most important thing is that professors can do is to honor the accommodations that autism spectrums need and work with the disabilities office. More autism spectrum students are going to college than they have in the past. And so it's important also to remember that autism is not a behavior issue. People with autism are wired differently. When they have meltdowns, it's not intentional. It's important that the students have a plan with their professors will leave the room for a calm place when they need to. Yeah, then they can function. That's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I, I didn't know that they had that. The Americans with Disabilities Act does that. That's mm -hmm. be a, so, okay, also too, what it will be like a good list of colleges that do accommodate neurodiverse students? Yeah, and I've shared a link with you with the 24 best colleges. There's also one that's not on there, which I find surprising, but I'm gonna share the top five with you right now. Okay. And that's Bellevue College in Bellevue, Washington. The second one is the University of West Florida in Pensacola, Florida. Marshall University, Huntington, West Virginia. Then Eastern Michigan University and oh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right for all you Michiganders out there. Ypsilanti, <laughs> Michigan. I apologize yeah. if that was wrong. It looks right to me, I guess. Okay. <laughs> University of South Florida, Tampa, Florida. And these schools have special programs for extra support. You want to check those out to see which one fits your child's needs best. Interestingly enough, what's not on this list is Adelphi University in New York, where Dr. Stephen Shore is a professor of special education who is also autistic himself. So that would be, could be a good university. That would be. I'm get in touch with that guy. That's, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put up a list of these universities. I'll put them on my Facebook page, and I'll, I'll also put a list on the show notes. This is gonna be a long show notes, but there's so much information in here. <laughs> it's amazing. So, um, what, what to do as a parent? Like, how can you prepare your teen to be a college student? Um, mm -hmm. Do they need to be diagnosed before they apply for schools? I think you mentioned that they do, right? And, right. and should they even, should they go to college? I guess they should. Why not, right? But what do you have exactly. to say about that? Yeah, well, and of course, like you said, yes, it helps, as I said before, to be diagnosed before college because it allows for special accommodations with the ADA and getting support from the college's disability office. Yes, they should definitely go to college if that's what they want and if that will help them reach their career goals. They should absolutely do that. And also, well before college, uh, parents should find teachers, academic coaches, music teachers for their children that believe in their children's untapped potential and their children's genius and that know how to help them release it. And find professionals for yourself that can help you as a parent keep yourself grounded and give you clarity so you can be empowered to make creative choices for your family, for your children under pressure. Right, that just gives you more control over life. It's, you know, uh, that's very important. And how, how could you, you know, prepare, say, the professors that are going to go see? What would you do? Yeah, that's a really good question. 
I have a tendency to not, and it, I think it depends upon the parent as they feel comfortable going directly to the professor. And I do think parents are their best advocate for their, uh, for their children. Um, I think I would first probably check with the college's disability office to see what protocol or procedure is available, what they recommend for communicating with the professors and what kind of support that they have there. To get all the support behind you, you can. So I would definitely check with the college's disability office first. Yeah, the more support you have, the better your child's chances are, right? And what would you say about roommates in college? A lot of people have roommates. I had one myself. What would you think? Uh, should they have roommates or? It depends. Um, it can be a good idea for them not to have a roommate so that they can have a quiet place where they can emotionally regulate themselves at the end of each day and the beginning of each day. So that is something that parents should consider. Excellent. Okay. And then you were talking earlier about how autism is not a behavioral problem and how to think about the situation um, that would help everyone involved. So just, their brains are just wired differently, right? So mm -hmm. I guess you would say you, you can't take anything personally, right? Mm -hmm. um, how would you say, like, because I remember I actually had an autistic student once and um, I do remember a couple of times um, he, I, I was teaching violin. He was very talented, extremely intelligent. And he was, he was definitely one of my favorite students because I love people who, who think out of the box. And he absolutely did. I mean, he would say the most incredible things. I remember one time I was talking, we were talking about the planet, you know, and I said, oh my gosh, he was so, I kind of, I miss him actually a little teary eyed because I haven't seen him in forever. He's probably in his thirties now, but I remember saying, um, to him, you know, we, we need to make sure we take care of this planet. And, you know, his name was Nick and, or otherwise we're all going to be living on like satellites. And he said, we are living on a satellite. Oh, <laughs> right, Nick, we are. Yeah. And I really, I miss that. They're just so quick. And, you know, he, he was just such an amazing person. Oh my gosh. I hope he's doing okay. I haven't seen him in forever. Yeah, um, I, I oh, go ahead. graduated. This last year, and um, as he he grew up and he continued to develop and um, just get, you know, feeling better about himself and better about his his practice at the piano, we would start having these amazing conversations about God and theology that were, I wish I could remember the words, but what I remember is the feeling that I had, and I would just leave those lessons or have when he'd leave the lessons and I would. I would remember thinking about those conversations for days and that feeling, that just amazing feeling um, would just stay with me. It was so rich. It was just amazing. Yeah, this can be such a profound connection with, with mm -hmm. another human being. And also, you know, when you're talking about like uh, multiple emotions and yoga and Tai Chi, you know, music actually offers that as well. Think about, it, you know, I mean, there's so many things going on. And, and um, I remember my student played in orchestra as well. He was one of the best players there. And um, if you think about all the things we do when we're playing with people, so we've got multiple muscles going, you have to, you have to count the rhythm, you have to read notes on a page, decipher it, get them out of an instrument with movements, right. while you're listening to all this other stuff and then matching everything, watching it. There are so many things going on that people don't realize. Or, or I remember like I'm playing in an orchestra and then, I look away for a second, like the conductors, I look back and then I'm like, oh gosh, where am I? So then you have to like make something up. You just have it match. 
read the music and figure out there's so many things oh so, yeah problem solving in the moment absolutely yeah and it's like nanoseconds i know and, and yeah it's just it's interesting i love looking at an mri of the brain on music because it's so lit up you know the uh, music just activates like all these different places of the brain and i don't even know if i'm probably not gonna remember all of them but like the prefrontal prefrontal cortex the motor cortex the sensory cortex the visual cortex cerebellum um, the amygdala for the emotions and the hippocampus for memory i know i'm missing i'm missing stuff but you know it's just and the corpus callosum and you know just creating more railroad tracks i love that image i got from someone else recently laying down railroad tracks in the brain that's and, exactly yeah yeah and when you can see it hear it and move to it, you're laying down new tracks. Yeah, and you feel it, you know, mm -hmm. you're feeling the music too. I remember yeah. too, um, even, this is just another example of music being healing for everyone. It's just, I remember playing for, um, you know, an assisted living center and it was a, these patients had Alzheimer's. And so there was a man, a little old man, he was in a wheelchair and he was, ah, gosh, and all, he, he just wasn't, his eyes were closed. He was basically comatose almost. He was just lying in his chair. And I remember playing some, I, I specifically, specifically, specifically was wanted to play 40s music and stuff like that. And they, they started singing along. They remembered the words, which I was fascinated. They remembered the tune. And then when I looked over at the little old man in the chair who his eyes were closed, he was just propped up in a wheelchair. And I saw his index finger tapping to the music. Oh, and that, that to me was like, he oh. is reached in some way. Yeah. music reaches people so you know even for for anyone but that that blew me away and it, it it has to light up so much of the brain for that to get through to him you know yeah. so i cannot imagine what this would do for young people you know who who have neurodivergence and yeah it's oh yeah yeah it's just it's just phenomenal and it's so cool that you know, our brain brains are just so amazing with music that we can just and of course you can do this with other things too and sports as well. But just imagining hearing the music in your head, moving to the music, playing your instrument, imagining that lights up the brain in the same way. Right. Yeah. Yes. You can even do the visualizations. Like yeah. for me, I do that. And I, I do know if I feel it and hear it. And I see it, but you have to feel it as well, which is probably yeah. lighting up things. And I'll pick up my violin and play it. And nine times out of 10, it was what I wanted. Or if I don't do that, mm -hmm. it isn't. So absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say for, for anyone, if they wanted some good resources to read? I'm a big reader. Yeah. Love it. What would you say? The Autism, Parenting, Autism Advocate Parenting Magazine, I've included the link. I have a subscription, yearly subscription to that. It's not very expensive. It's an incredible magazine written by articles by parents as well as professionals in all different areas that have to do with autism. It's just very, very fascinating and a really good support. Um, Dr. Stephen Shore, which I mentioned earlier, and I've been shared that website with you. Um, he also does a lot of speaking engagements. And then some other books that I've read, uh, school moves for learning i'm not even sure it's still in print but it is so comprehensive for movements that if a child has missed something in their developmental sequence you can go back and you can look through that and figure out and 
put together a series of movements from this book that will help um, fill in those gaps or heal those things or bring cohesion to the brain and the body um, to help them, you know, lay down new railroad tracks in the brain. Right. And Smart Moves, yeah, the subtitle of Smart Moves by Carla Hannaford, PhD, is, I love the smart, uh, the subtitle is uh, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. That's so good. I got a lot of the brain gem movements I've extrapolated from my program from that. And um, yeah, so those are some of the things I would recommend. There's also, you could look on Facebook. There are some really good um, Facebook groups that support parents of autism spectrum students. I'm in them right now. I can, a number of them, I cannot tell you right now what the names of them are because I don't know all the groups I'm in. I'm a member of, I just kind of follow them and I'm like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And um, they're really supportive uh, of parents and they help, you know, everybody supports each other in those groups. So that's helpful. Great. Oh, also, how can we find you? I'm going to put a link mm -hmm. to your website also in the show notes, but you also have, you have a website and different yes. things going on. You have a master class coming up. On September, uh, September 19th through the 23rd at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for about 50 minutes. And again, the name of my program is Discover Their Gifts. And I give parents and teachers mindfulness and meditation techniques and modeling strategies instead of reprimanding. Modeling is better. Um, help them also to learn how to mirror you, which is an important thing to turn on in their brains, that mirroring ability. It's already there, it's just not turned on. Um, I have, I teach, I share uh, some cross body movements and um, how to develop the language of emotions so that the children can express themselves emotionally and also put that into their music. Okay, that is excellent. Um, I will put, the, I'm going to put a link to that also in my show notes. And if you were to give one bit of advice for parents, these incredible kids, what would that be? that they are each incredible, that no two children on the spectrum are the same, that they each child on the spectrum is unique, just as each child not on the spectrum is unique, has their own personality, their own spark, their own gifts and strengths. And some of those might be, are, are linked to autism, but they're also, each child is different in their own expression and each child has their own genius and to believe in their the genius of their child don't let anyone tell you otherwise you know in your heart what your child can do and is capable of and you find the help you need to get for you yourself and your child to help that happen absolutely i always tell my parents you you are your child's expert don't mm -hmm. forget that always remember that yeah Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Hemda, for stopping by. This is an incredible conversation and I it doesn't end here. I think people should go to your master class and check Great. that out. You know, they would learn a lot. And thank you. Thank you so much. And remember, I will put links in my show notes to all of this stuff. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me and Hemda. I've just got her website. I'll put that on there too on my show notes. And thank you so much. Thank you.